Evolving Human Nutrition with Neil Mann and Sarah Elton. And when was that published? Um, 2012, um, uh, Cambridge University Press. Uh, it was a hard piece of work. It uh, took us four years. Um, all of us were dissatisfied with the idea that uh, how uh, evolution of the human diet was being portrayed. And uh, I, as an anthropologist, Neil Mann as a biochemist, nutritional biochemist, and uh, Sarah Elton as an evolutionary anthropologist came together to try and work through some of the knots. Because one of the problems with looking at the evolution of, of, of human nutrition is uh, in many of the papers you read, many books, um, there's a, in the evolutionary past, it was like this. And the reason why we're predisposed to liking fat and sugar is because we evolved to like it, stuff like that. But then, you know, when you look at evolution, it has considerable time depth. And there's a big difference between something having evolved 10,000 years ago to having evolved 10 million years ago. So we wanted to try and pick out, to, to pick apart some of this timeline and to think about the implications of human nutrition and its evolution for contemporary public health issues. Did you touch on the evolution of cooking and fire as the people in Harvard have done? Um, well, we reviewed what they did and um, it's an ambiguous situation because because the, the evidence for fire um, go, takes us back to about 800,000 years from uh, um, uh, evidence, archaeological evidence in Israel and archaeological evidence in China. Um, uh, but more detailed archaeology is only more recent and takes us about 250,000 years. And and so you can make a case to both of these things. And I'm totally, totally in favour of the Rangham ar argument because it gives us a very elegant uh, uh, solution to how to capture energy in, 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 in difficult contexts when meat capture could have been, you know, hugely problematic. Yeah, because if you cook the food, you get so much more out of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but, you know, as with all attractive hypotheses, because you want to believe it doesn't make it real. So, so as a scientist, I'd say, well, let's just wait, um, wait and see if more evidence is forthcoming. Now, of course, with all of these evolutionary issues, you can only resolve it if you can, if you can get a site that is halfway between those two timelines to be able to, to be able to resolve it uh, to, to, to a greater level of, uh, level of detail. So um, yes, 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 we did. Uh, but more importantly, I think we, we looked at other factors like seasonality and how human diet became diverse and how we become extremely uh, plastic in, uh, and flexible in the foods that we can eat because we can eat almost anything. The example I like to give students is, you know, take a zucchini. Uh, you plant a zucchini. Um, uh, what do you call them in French? Courgettes. Courgettes, yes. Courgettes, okay. Um, well, you can, you can eat the courgette. You can eat the zucchini. Well, that's lovely. You can let it grow big and that turns into a marrow. Less pleasant, but still edible. You can eat the flower um, and you can eat the leaves. You, you know, one plant can give you several different kinds of foods. You, similarly, um, you know, some plants can give you roots and seeds and leaves and flowers and so on. So just by using flowering plants at different times of year, you're creating different foods out of the same organism. And that gives you a huge hugely beautiful, nuanced way of thinking about uh, how, you know, how we, we find dietary diversity and how we find dietary diversity attractive, for, for example. You mentioned sugar and fat. Well, of course, the conventional idea is that they were pretty rare 
and therefore we have to make most of them. In other words, the, the big hit of lovely sugar, lots of fruit. Mind you, there wasn't so much fruit as we thought. And similarly with fat, you, the kill would be, what, once a week, once a fortnight if you were lucky. And so there was no kind of block to gorging on those things. Did you find something against that argument? Um, no, I think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's entirely plausible. Uh, yeah, I, I think the important new evidence comes with, comes with neurophysiology, which is, which is our predispositions for wanting um, those kinds of combinations, which now are, are, are negatively weighted in, in societies that have lots of sugar and fat, like, you know, like in Australia, for example. Um, but uh, but uh, you know, I think the evidence is, is hugely in favour of, of wanting to to consume those things and having, you know, almost um, uh, addictive or you know, some have claimed you know, ad uh, um, addictions towards those towards those particular substances because they were so vital in terms of in terms of uh, um, evolutionary success. Yes, we were built for feast and famine, and of course, there's no famine in some cultures anymore. Yeah, we uh, we've lost our seasonality, and the only seasonality that I can find is the seasonality of prices in the supermarkets and the shops for certain certain kinds of things that need to be imported from halfway around the planet. Um, but uh, but yes, in some ways we've been far too successful, and part of the book deals with 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 that success. The the industrialized food system that was developed in 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 the United States for a rapidly urbanizing society was hugely successful. The American Midwest, Chicago, as a place a conduit for for the resources that were grown in the Midwest, turning them into into food commodities that could feed urban communities a prosperous society emerged and thrived. Um, but if anything, that prosperous society has experienced overshoot, so successful to the point that food is no longer the, the, the sacred, cherished thing it was. It's an everyday thing. It's so easy to acquire everywhere and anywhere. And we'll have twice the number of people to feed in the short-term distant future. Exactly. And the other issue that goes with this, of course, is uh, when you think about evolution, you have to think about extinction as well. That actually most, more um, large mammalian species are extinct than, than are on the planet at the moment. And we could easily be among them if we're not careful. So the issue of sustainability and, and, uh, and, and food supply is a very, very important issue. Meanwhile, we behave as individuals, as animals that uh, um, crave uh, crave highly energy dense foods and we have food systems that produce those and meet those so i would say uh, perhaps provocatively that um you know while there may be a market success if we use conventional economics in in looking at our sort of industrialized western food systems there's a market failure when we're thinking about uh, about long-term sustainability